Good morning. My name is Susanna Lay, and today's scripture comes from Matthew 2, 1 to 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of the King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to, born, to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and mirth. Thank you, Susanna. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. We're getting more of Christmas this year than I think we ever have because I pushed Christmas forward since the last Sunday of Advent is today. And so to this morning we're looking at the story as Susanna just read us of the Magi and as a bookend tonight, the story of the shepherds. So it begins with an interesting question. What's the longest journey you've ever taken? I mean taken on foot. My wife and I had the privilege this past year of going with another Granada couple to walk a section of the Camino de Santiago. You ever heard of that? It's in northern Spain. Do you have that slide? Oh, no, no, there we go. Nope, that's not it. The one before that. Well, maybe we can't do it. Um, but anyway, we walked across northern Spain and yet there's something about pilgrimage, about walking, about a journey and uh, the story that I, this book I carried on the way, and by the time I got to the end of our long walk, it was all weathered. It's by this guy. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Yay, we found it. This is the pathway that we walked in northern Spain. And along the way, there we go, I was carrying the, uh, what became a weathered copy of this guy's book. It's, his name is Timothy Egan, and it's entitled A Pilgrimage to Eternity. And he went on an even longer walk. He went all the way from Canterbury in England and went down to the English Channel, took a ship across and walked all the way to Rome. It's like, okay, why would a guy do this? What was going on? And in reality, he said at the beginning of his book, he wanted to find out, is God real? He grew up in a home where his mother followed Christ and, um, and yet he had gone through a lot of tragedy in that year. First, uh, one of his, uh, his nephew was murdered. And then he was at the bedside of his mother as his mother died that year, literally holding her hand 
He said, as the color was fading from her face, she looked up at him and said this, I'm not feeling it. Timmy, I'm not sure anymore. I don't know what to believe or what's ahead. But is there a way to know? And so because he wanted to know, he set off on this long walk seeking the truth, the path, hoping that it would, God would reveal himself to him. But you got to ask the question, will we find that reality if we go on this walk with God? Will he reveal himself to us? And I think, of course, this touches on a much deeper question all of us have. Can I know and experience the presence of God? Now, by the way, Christmas is all about God drawing near to us so that we can know him and enjoy him. And the theme of our study this year has been joy, the experience of the joy that we have when Jesus is born. And so I scanned all the passages about the birth of Jesus and looked for those places where there's joy. And we've asked, what was going on? What is happening? And we discovered this. First, at that time in the ancient world, there was a great understanding of the human experience of emotion and actually a focus on four major poles, you could say, of human emotion. But one of them is not joy. One of them is pleasure. They gave a lot of attention to what would give a human being pleasure, but almost no conversation about joy. And then as we read the New Testament, when Jesus is born, there are these outbursts of joy, this experience of something they weren't even talking about. And so I want to look at with you today how these people that Susanna just wrote us, read to us about, experienced this journey of joy with God and how we can too. Would you pray together with me? Father, thank you for times like this when the beauty of moments when we see um, children, young children baptized and placed in the covenant, when we hear the carols of the season and we hear your word read. We've heard it before, Lord. It's familiar to us. But I pray, Lord, that you will take us beyond the ancient text of your word to the reality of who you are through Jesus as the God who comes to us as Emmanuel, God with us. We pray that your spirit would be poured out on us so that we can see the reality of who you are in a world in which we're led to believe you're far away and you're, you're not engaging with us in our lives. Help us to see that you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It has to be one of Jesus' greatest promises. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. It's one of those great promises, right? I mean, if you seek, if you're going to find, if you knock, God says it like this elsewhere. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. That's an amazing promise, right? And I was reading that and thinking about this and thinking about our text for today, I thought, I'm not sure for us modern people, we can do this. We do do this, right? Because to seek, actually, it takes time. 
just taking those days with my wife and walking slowly, we only walked about 75 miles of that pilgrimage, was a huge commitment. I mean, really, are you going to do that to take a, a long walk in this place? And our day, we love shortcuts. We want the instant. I mean, give me the silver bullet. And, you know, we go out to Google. We can search it up. And, or if you, if, if you want to go even further, go to ChatGPT, and you can get your answer right away. These are amazing tools. But what I've learned is they don't work in relationships. Relationships take time. And by the way, quality time can never replace a quantity of time. Have you noticed that in your relationships? You have to be together. You, you have to share life. And I think this explains some of the loneliness of our age. Relationships do not go at the speed of social media. The best relationships have been marinated for, for a long time. They're slow cooked. And that takes lots of time, just being in each other's presence. But is that time we're willing to take? I was reading uh, years ago, Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor, who wrote a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And what's really interesting, here's this pastor writing this amazing book about this long walk with God, and he takes the title from a, from a saying of one of the great existential philosophers, Friedrich Nietzsche. He said this, Nietzsche said this, the essential thing in heaven and on earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction there thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. He said, look, even this, you know, this atheist philosopher knows that it's not until you invest time and you focus and you take time with something that something really important can happen. It comes from sticking with it, and especially relationships. And that actually, Eugene Peterson, his book says, you know what? It's like this. It's like in our world, there, there are people who are tourists. And you've been a tourist before I have. You know, you visit that quiet place, you get your picture, you're there for a couple of minutes, and then boom, before you know it, you're on to the next place. And, and the place you visited hasn't really changed you. He said there are tourists, but then there are also pilgrims. And pilgrims give themselves to the journey. And the journey actually comes to shape and change their lives. Think of Abraham, right? He was transformed by this process when God said, look, I, I just want you to leave home and, and go to where I direct you. And I'm, I'm going to be with you. And in the process, he's transformed and given a completely new identity. Some of you have done that. And you have, as a result, more than a new address, right? You've been changed by the journey. And this is where God is calling us, to a life in him that reorients actually who we are. Why would we want to take that journey with God, you might ask? Well, I think it is, as, even as Nietzsche said, this leads us to a life worth living. It leads us to joy. And so that's what I want to look at with you today, this journey that leads us to joy in God. Now, Matthew is the most Jewish of the four Gospels. He quotes the most scripture. He's most dialed in to the promises of God. And yet, when you open this text, the lens of Matthew's Gospel turns to pagans. 
People who don't seem connected to the promises at all. They're pagan astrologers. No doubt these men have never heard about the Lord. But here's what happened to them. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now we open this gospel and we read a genealogy of all of the the, the heroes of the faith, this genealogy of Jesus, right? Going back to David. And we think priests and rabbis are going to show up when Jesus is born. They know what the prophets have said. Surely they are looking for the Messiah. But no, even when the wise men come and ask about Jesus, and by the way, they've traveled probably eight or 900 miles on a journey that has taken them over a year or longer, the religious leaders, by the way, they're only about three miles from Bethlehem. They won't even cross the street to go see what has happened where Jesus has been born. So you'd say, well, why, who are the Magi, and why is Matthew telling us about them? Well, the Magi, as the name suggests, were ancient magicians. Not the pull the rabbit out of a hat kind of magicians, but the kind who believed in real magic. That is, there was a way in our world to tap into a spiritual realm that connects to some, them to something far greater than who we are. And they were also astrologers. They believed that the stars gave messages of the gods and could even predict the future or show you your fate. So in studying the stars, they sort of knew the night sky the way you know the back of your hand. They knew when things were changing and they could see signals that are there. And because of the movement of the stars, they knew something is happening. Something great is happening. It's so great that they're willing to take the, the longest and most dangerous, the most arduous journey. And, and it's also worth bringing the best of their gifts for. When I think about this, I think Matthew is telling us about the Magi because he wants to show us that all human beings are searching for meaning. Why do you think we, we love stories? Why do you think we spend so much time trying to make sense of our lives and our world? Why do you think we want to know well, who we are and why we're here and what our purpose is? You see, Matthew wants to show us that God has placed signs directing people to him as they're searching everywhere around the world. Signs that we can follow to find and know him. Sort of like it says in the Old Testament, right? The, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Do you know that God wants you to find him and to know him? And that God in your life has, has placed breadcrumbs, and he's done this throughout our world, giving us directions to find him. This year, I shared a few stories from a book I really enjoyed. It's entitled Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. You'll see the cover. It's the stories of people who, after sort of diving headlong into new atheism, said, well, this can't be true. There's got to be more to it than this. And one of the ones that really struck me is about this guy. His name is Andrew Gossler. He, he teaches biology at Oxford University. And his, his expertise is in ornithology. 
That is the study of birds. Now, he was raised far from Jesus, right? He didn't really care anything to, to seek into any kind of spiritual truth. But one day, um, he discovered the work of an ornithologist that demonstrated incredible cooperation between an African bird and human beings. The bird is this one. It's called the greater honey guide. And let me tell you what it does. He was shocked to discover that this bird without any training, didn't have a trainer, actually knew how to signal to human beings to follow him to show them where the honey was. And he began to realize there haven't even been enough years that humanity has been around for birds like this to have learned how to do this. So who taught these birds? How did they learn how to do this? This adaptation is longer than human beings, to take longer than human beings have existed. It just wouldn't happen. And so he began to follow this story, and he found something absolutely fascinating. He found as he studied evolution, it's all about the selfish gene, right, and how, and how uh, we are going to battle everybody else so that we survive, and our genes do too. And so it's all about competition and, and all of that. And he realized this absolutely proved to be false. He says, sure, there's competition, and there, and, but the reality is, as you study the creation, there's far more cooperation. There's a mutually beneficial interdependency that fills all of the natural world around us. And here's what he said at the end of his search. This is what he discovered. He said, I have felt my eyes open to a truer perception of now he calls it creation. I have come to regard Christ as my honey guy. He led me to a new reality. He says, the biological sciences have gotten it all wrong. We do, we've missed the fact that there's such cooperation. And, and there's this beautiful thing that's happening in the creation around us. God used a honey-seeking honey bird like a star to direct him to Jesus. And then Jesus is now directing him to the greater truths of creation. God, what you will learn is God will do everything he can to help us find him. And so I asked, what are the breadcrumbs God has placed in your world? Now, the problem is with this, I find that, um, that it's hard for me to find them unless I'm looking. And by the way, in this story, the people most in possession of the truth, the religious leaders, don't even go seeking. It's the people with the least amount of truth, the magi, right? And in many ways, this is a rebuke to us religious types. I mean, we've heard about Jesus so long, and we've heard the, these passages read so many times, and we've sung these carols. We've forgotten the wonder of the birth of Jesus. And we struggle with this at Christmas time because of this. And we think because we have knowledge in our heads, but searching is really about the hunger that's in your heart. This hunger that God placed in you so that you might find him. Now, one additional student, a study story from this guy, Andrew Gosler, uh, of God winking at him. And by the way, he's a scientist, and he says, these things can't happen. He had a doctoral student, and the day that the doctoral student graduated, or actually gave his oral exam, he walked out of his oral exams, and um, Gosler had ordered a copy of his latest book. You'll see the cover of that. It's about birds. He'd ordered a copy, and you know how they come over the internet, it's all wrapped. And when the student walked out of the defense, he handed him a copy of the book. And the student right in front of him 
opened up the book and he was thumbing through the pages and his professor looked and he was like, there's something wrong with your book. And the student handed it to him and as he went through the book, he noticed that the plates, the pictures that were a part of the book that he published were not there in the book where they were to be placed. Instead, as he thumbed through the book, there were completely different pictures. And you know what pictures were in the book? They happened to be Christian icons. And not only were they not in the book where he had placed them, as he looked in the place in the book, they were precisely in that place where he teaches about the cooperation he's learned as he's been observing the creation. He called the publisher to tell the publisher what went wrong. And the publisher was upset. They thought this is going to be costly. If we have to print all these books over again because of our mistake, they would be very costly for them. But they couldn't find a single additional copy with the wrong plates in the wrong place in that book. He said, I'm a scientist. When I hear these stories, I don't believe them. But this happened to me. You see, there are breadcrumbs also in your story. There are ways that God is showing you he is present. And he wants to know you. He wants relationship with you. By the way, in this story, the, the person who gives the best direction is the worst person in the story. Herod is a mad and evil king. But look at what he says. They may want to give up. But look at what he says. Go search carefully for the child. And that's really the message of this text, right? The call of Christmas. Don't you want to know if this is true? Don't you want to know if God has come into our world and, and he's loved us like the scriptures say? Go and make a careful search for this child. You'll find that God is present in your life. You will find him if you search for him with all your heart. But I think we stop seeking. We're more like that tourist, right? Than the pilgrim. And maybe, maybe a moment in church will do. This is how people have treated Jesus. I don't know if you know, but since the pandemic, a few million people have responded to the gospel, to the message about Jesus. But in this country, do you know what we're discovering? There's a huge attrition rate. So many of those people have already walked away. And the reason is because we want spiritual experience. We want to go hear a new personality or a new truth, right? We want a new movement. And we quickly become distracted and we, to the next thing rather than sticking with God. You know, a pilgrimage is hard. I think that's why some of us don't want to go on it. By the way, I got injured before I even took the pilgrimage, getting ready for the pilgrimage. The Magi have traveled in a caravan, as I said, for hundreds of miles. I remember reading M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. Literally, he begins his book with these words. He says this, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Most do not fully see this truth. Instead, they moan more or less incessantly, noisily, or subtly about the enormity of their problems, their burdens, their difficulties, as if life were, were generally easy, as if life should be easy. Did you know you're on a pilgrimage? Do you know that pilgrimage is going to be hard? 
All of us are going to face that. And this is like shock treatment for us today. By the way, you're, you're in the wrong place if you think it's meant to be easy. In our, our world, it's not. And so the message here is it's going to be hard. S- stick with the journey. Stick with God. Here's what happens to the Magi. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. The, the Magi don't give up. And there's a change in that star. It moves in a position over Jesus. And you say, why so? He's the Messiah. He's God come into our world, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And what we've thought is that this story is about the Magi following the star, and we discover it's about the star following Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Even the stars move in concert with his presence. You know, if we celebrate Christmas because in Jesus we can know God, we discover the meaning of our world given to to us. As Paul says, he, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the key to the questions we have about why we're here and what our lives are about. And born in human flesh, he meets us where we live. He, he's lying in a manger. We have royalty wrapped in rags to get close to us. In him, we learn what human life is meant to be like. It's by looking at him, it's like that is genuine human experience. And by looking at him, we find out who God is. He reveals to us, by the way, if you want to know God, look, look at Jesus. Jesus joins heaven to earth, humans to God, seekers to the truth that we long for, And by the way, this is the only thing that makes sense of this scene. This is what we're told. On coming to the house, they, the Magi, saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bow before him, and they worship him, and they open their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Look, these guys are kings. They're wealthy in the world they come from. What did they do? They're worshiping Jesus. They're acknowledging the one they found worthy of adoration, By the way, you have to use, don't you love the way that God is using a a symbol from their own pagan world, the star, to direct them to Jesus, to show them one even greater than the stars. And I think that's what happens to us when we come to know Jesus. We come to see that he's the center. Here's Paul again in the New Testament. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus went to the cross to bring us to God, to open the way. And I think the question of Christmas is always this. What will you do with Jesus? I've been waiting for this verse. It goes like this. And the star they had seen When it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, there it is. They were overjoyed. Here's that joy. It's great joy we've been talking about in our Advent series. You say, well, why here? You see, the star led them to Jesus, and they've been changed by their journey. It's been a gift to them. They they come bringing gifts, but it's been a gift to them. And you say, well, why does God call us? to pilgrimage with him. I love the story that's told by Gordon McDonald. He tells about two sto- the story of two people. They're out one night, and they're sitting in a bar, and they start having a conversation. And in that evening, a friendship 
is born. And as they're watching TV, a, a, a show comes on about climbers and the mountains and beautiful places. And as they're talking together, they find that they both in common have always wanted to learn how to climb. And they wanted to climb some great mountains. And as they talk, they realize they don't really know anything about this. They wonder how hard it could be. And so after that night, they find a professional climber and they seek out that person to tell them what's involved, how difficult is this going to be? And they're told, well, it would take you a couple of years to get into training and it can be expensive for the equipment and the travel. And they learn all the equipment. A year after that, they get into physical shape and they begin climbing what are called the 14ers. You ever heard of those? I heard, hadn't until I heard somebody who climbed all of them. There's one of them, Mount Elbert, it's called. They're in the United States, 96, mountains over 14,000 feet. 53 of them are in Colorado alone. And so they decide we're gonna start climbing all of those. And they do. And along the way, there are times when one becomes injured and wants to quit. But the other one encourages them to stick it out. And the day finally comes when they finally fly to Nepal. They've saved up a lot of money because it's very expensive. They've hired Sherpas and they begin working their way through the base camp. And what happens is one of them decides to quit when one day they're out climbing and he nearly falls to his death. It is so terrifying. He's gonna hang it all up. And the other, his friend spends five days talking him into going further and finishing the journey. And they finally set out right after midnight perfect night and they begin their right ascent of the mountain and it's incredible they get up there it's super beautiful you'll see a picture of what it looks like it is incredible they are up there and this is what they had talked about what they now spent over five years doing but while they're there they hear this little rumbling sound beneath them and they look down at the base camp and they see a helicopter down there and they think, oh, somebody's gotten hurt. I don't know if you've seen these high altitude helicopters. They think somebody's gotten hurt. But as they look down there, the helicopter keeps rising higher and higher and higher. And then before long, it's not too far below them, a thousand or two thousand feet, and they wonder what's going on. And while they're standing there looking at this incredible view from the top of the mountain, that helicopter comes up and it disgorges two people. And those two people are really close to the top and they just walk up and they're standing right beside them. By the way, they're seeing exactly the same view from the top of the mountain. <laughs> but the question is, are they having the same experience? Do they have the same experience? And Gordon McDonald says, when you understand that, you'll understand why God wants to be with you. He wants you to know him. And in Jesus, he says, I'm going to be with you. You can walk with me every day. And this is why God says, hey, will you go on pilgrimage with me? It's why he invites us. He wants to share life with you through Jesus. He wants you to enjoy and know him. And this is what he created people for in the beginning. This is the story we're living in. The story, this is... Just what this scripture is saying. By the way, this is why Abraham had to leave home. It's why Israel had to go into the wilderness. God wanted time with them. And it's why Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem. The story isn't just, it's not about us even seeking God. 
We could never find him on our own. We could never reach him. It's how God is seeking you. And he wants fellowship with you. Not as a destination to reach, but an experience to share. And this is the way God is in our lives. By the way, do you know he's never far away and detached? But he's there with us to share every step along the way. And by the way, this is what joy, where joy comes from. Not because our lives are easy. Joy transcends even the moment we're living in because it's connected to fellowship with God and his promises. It's that Jesus is God with us. And God is saying something like that. This is what I hear. You, you've got to do the rest of your life. Why not do it with me? Why not do it with me? That's his invitation. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. It just begins by going to him in prayer and maybe saying that, Lord, I don't, I don't even know you, but I'm here. Reveal yourself to me. Lead me through your grace, through Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for men who were in Persia, so many hundred miles away from where Jesus was born, that you guided them to show us that everybody's looking for meaning and that Jesus isn't just for a small group of people who live on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. It's for everyone. I pray that you show us, Lord, that trail of breadcrumbs in each of our lives, those places where you're reminding us that you're with us. You're telling us that you're, you're present and we can know you. And Father, I pray in Jesus we would see that you've already come to us and you've come for us and you've invited us into fellowship with you. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for your persistence with us that you use African birds and misprinting of books and stars in the sky just so that we might find out how much you've loved us. And Lord, thank you for Jesus who came to reveal you and to bring us home and to give us life. We pray in his name.